Today we're going to be talking about the D word. And most people hate this word because we love to ignore this word because it's a horrible word. We're talking about the D word. We're talking about, you guys ready? Discipline. You know, discipline are those things that you're supposed to do that you don't want to do. And we all know what they are. We all have a long list of them. You know, things like get up earlier, go to bed earlier, eat healthier, exercise more, save more money, spend less money, you know, budget better, spend more one-on-one time with your kids. Oh, here's a good one. Um, Call your mother, you know, those type of things that, and the list just goes on and on and on when it comes to discipline. And then you meet some people that are more disciplined than you. And then on one hand, you're inspired by them. And on the other hand, you kind of hate them, right? Are you guys with me on this? I had a neighbor about 20 years ago, and every morning I'd have my coffee and I'd walk out to get the paper. Remember, it was 20 years ago or so, so we still had papers. We don't read those as much anymore. So I would walk out, and here comes my neighbor outside of his door, and he's got no shirt on, perfect six-pack with this beautiful Dalmatian in tow with no leash, just following him around. And he's all chipper, hey, neighbor, you know, today I think I'm going to do 10 miles. And you're like, I hate you. You know, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And then he's walking and starts talking, by the way, coffee's bad for you. And I'm just, just go away, man, you know? And I think we can all agree that there's just some things that we're supposed to do, but we don't do them because they require discipline. And one interesting thing about discipline is that things that start off as a discipline actually become pleasant habits. Sometimes they even become hobbies. And oftentimes they almost become addictions or obsessions. And, and we, we have some people that, that, well, first of all, do we have any runners or cyclists here this morning talking about obsessions? Yeah? So you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You guys raise your hand. Nice to know. You have energy. You can do that. Go ahead. You know, uh, those of you that are cyclists or runners know that it started off as a discipline. Oh, I got to get my 20 miles in today. You know, that kind of stuff. And now it's like an obsession. And now, and that's true of, of many disciplines. Things that just start off as a discipline become an obsession. And any CrossFit people? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Those of you that do CrossFit? God, you guys are tough this morning. <laughs> Wake up. Anyway, some of you are very, very health conscious. And it started off as a discipline. You know, it started off as a, I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm not going to eat wheat. I'm not going to eat dairy or, or whatever. And, and then moved from a discipline to, to an obsession. And then it moved into a lifestyle. And now you actually enjoy it. You can't think of anything else you'd rather do. Another interesting thing about discipline is that discipline almost always, to me always, but almost always results in progress, even if you have a bad attitude about it. And, and, and in many areas, discipline really results in freedom, especially when it comes to your finances. It results in freedom later on. In fact, discipline, one way of defining is, I heard somebody say this, is that discipline is doing what you don't want to do now so that you can do what you want to do later. So in essence, discipline is delayed gratification. And that's how many people get through school. In fact, that's how many of you are going to get through school. Delayed gratification. It's doing what you don't want to do now so that you can do what you want to do later. But basically, here's what it comes down to. Am I going to do what I'm supposed to do even though I don't really want to do it? And the reason we're talking about discipline this morning is because we're in the middle of a series called Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. 
And one thing that we talked about last week with Pastor David Hopper talked about is key relationships. And he defined them as providential relationships where, where you feel that God has brought somebody into your life at the right time, at the right place, at the right moment. And God used those people to speak into your life. Well, today we're going to talk about private disciplines. And here's the reason. Whenever you hear people talk about their faith journey, or they tell you their story about their faith, they always talk about le- learning to develop these, these, these private disciplines. Their stories are filled with things that God used to grow their faith in a big way. And you're going to hear things like, you know, that they developed a rich personal devotional time with God. And then they're going to tell you how eventually somewhere in their walk, somewhere in their faith, it intersected with their finances. Their faith and their finances eventually intersected. Now, I want you all, I want me, I want all of us to relax. This is not a a sermon about giving. We're not going to take a private offering or start a capital campaign. It's not about that. But when I do talk about the money part, here's what I want you to listen to specifically, that all of these private disciplines have to do more with your faith than how it's going to really affect or benefit this church or anybody else. And the third thing that we're not going to talk about is fasting, because I'll let you guys read that one and study that one on your own. And as you listen to these two things that I'm going to talk about this morning, I know it happens, so I'm just going to mention it. There's going to be some of you that are going to start disagreeing with the preacher man here this morning. And all I ask is that you go back to the scripture, these verses, and read them for yourself. Because I'd rather you wrestle with the Bible than with me. Because you're going to lose. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean that. The other thing that I want you to think about today, especially if you find yourself resisting, and some of us will, I want you to pay attention to that because I think it's really important, especially in the context of these verses, really to pay attention and recognize what it is that you are resisting in your heart. Again, this is not about giving. This is not about me. This is about the scripture we're about to read and what it's going to do in your heart. Because faith, you see, is like a muscle. And I know we've heard that before. The more you exercise a muscle, the more it grows. You know, we break down a muscle, we exercise it, we let it rest, and then it grows. And and, and faith is the same way. There, There is a sense in which God will bring you to a place where he will almost exhaust your faith in order to strengthen it, to build it, and grow it. And and these things that we're going to talk about today, these private, personal, spiritual disciplines are part of that. So we're going to go over six very short verses in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And now, keep in mind that this is Jesus talking. So again, we should take this seriously and pay attention. And then he starts off by saying, be careful. Now, anybody else tell you that? What are you you going to do? You pay attention, right? You're careful. He's setting up the discussion. And he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. Let's pause right right there for a second. Acts of righteousness are are his way of saying private disciplines. And it's going to become a little more clearer in a minute. But he doesn't use the phrase private disciplines. He says acts of righteousness are kind of these things that you do on your own privately. So he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, your private disciplines before men to be seen by them because they're private. If you do you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So now 
he's setting up this discussion in this way. He says, I'm going to talk to you about some very specific things, and these are private things. Now, there may be a public element to them, but they're mostly private. And if you do these private, and if you do these consistently, and you're faithful, he says that your heavenly father is going to see this. And the thing that's quite amazing to me about the scripture, and he says that your heavenly father is going to see this, and he's going to reward you. And I know this is hard for most of us because we're not doing any of this for a reward, a reward, but God says that he may reward you anyway. Jesus said that your heavenly father will reward you as you participate in, in what we call these private disciplines or what he calls here acts of righteousness. And then he gives us the first one. It's the first one on a list of three. And again, we're going to only go over two. The third one is about fasting. And I think it's way too convicting for me, so I decided not to cover it. So I'll just let you read that on your own. He says, we're going to verse two. He says, so when you give, and here's the first illustration of an act of righteousness that you're supposed to do privately. So when you give to the needy, and he's talking about money. He's talking specifically of what was termed in that day, almsgiving. And you may have seen pictures of this in, or, or in movies where people were going to the temple or the synagogue or, or their place of worship, and then there would be destitute people, beggars, poor people. They would all line up right outside of the temple, and as people would walk in, you know, they would be begging. So people, you know, the, the Jews of the time that were going into the church, if you will, they would bring extra money, and just out of the mercy and the kindness of their heart, they would give money to these poor people. And it wasn't a real systematic thing or anything. This was just basically, you know, I see you, I feel sorry for you, I see a need, so I'm going to give you some money. Now, it's important to recognize as well that this was not the tithe. This was not the money that a devout Jewish person would automatically give to the temple. This was above and beyond that. Because the Jews in the first century at least the devout Jew was already giving anywhere between 10 to 18% of their, of their money to God by giving it to the temple for whatever the temple needed it for. And basically, to a first century Jew, this kind of felt like a tax. I mean, they didn't have to do it. It, it wasn't a, a legal thing that they had to do. But remember, it was part of the Mosaic law. So they, they, they were compelled and they were taught to do it. So they were already giving between 10 to 18%. So this money to the poor was in addition to that and he says, now, as you're going to the temple and you see these people with all of these needs, and he says, and then you decide to give to them, and then he tells us what specifically to do. Verse 2 says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. And if you look at this verse... It's implied that the reward that they have received in full is that men have honored them. That if you give in this way, and he's talking about this ceremonial kind of way with a lot of fanfare where, you know, people are saying, oh, look at so-and-so or, or look at Jimmy, look at all the money he has given away and look at his family, look how well-dressed they are and look at all the money that they give away. Jesus says that, that when you do that, you have received your reward because you were honored by men. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you guys know that was in the Bible? 
Verse 4, so that, and here's this, this little phrase that's really important, so that your giving may be in what? Secret, private. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he's saying that your father who recognizes what you're doing, these other folks are being recognized by everybody else on the street, but when your heavenly father sees and recognizes what you're doing in secret, he will, and what is the word he uses there? He will reward you. Now, in this context, Jesus doesn't really tell us what the reward is. In other parts of the Bible, he does. But in this particular context, we would guess that part of the reward here is honor. That just like those men were honored by other men because they saw them give, in the same way, Jesus is saying, and here's the implication, that when your heavenly father sees you give, he's going to honor you that there's going to be a reward and maybe it's honor. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into the, into the scripture, but there's going to be a reward as you privately give and as you privately fund the things that are near and dear to God's heart. So the question for us this morning, very important question, probably the most important question I'm going to ask you this morning, because remember, this is not a giving sermon. It's not about giving. This is all about faith, remember? It isn't just about meeting the needs of the poor. The question is, what if we really believed in these words of Jesus. What if we really believe that our Heavenly Father saw your private financial generosity and decided to honor and reward you because of it? Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to give for the reward. We know that. But folks, I'm just telling you what Jesus brought up. It's right here in the scripture. And here's the question. What if we really believe that? You see, I would argue... And I, I don't know many of you individually or really well, but I, I would argue that one of the reasons that we don't give or one of the reasons that we're not more generous is because we don't really believe this. And the issue, again, is not money. The issue is, do we have full confidence and faith in God? That's the issue. And when you read the entire New Testament, there's a common theme. There's a few common themes, but one of them is, is money. Jesus talks about money in the New Testament a lot. He has, I mean, if you think about it, why would he do that? Money is almost always a faith, believe in God issue. What if you really, really believe that when you took your hard-earned money and you funded what God was doing all over the world or through this church or through missions or through feeding the poor, however God gets your, gets your attention, what if you really believed God saw that and decided he was going to reward you as you privately and personally and behind the scenes gave. What if you really believe that? Because I think, this is just me, I think that if we really believe that, all this angst that we feel about money or when the preacher man talks about money or when they say, oh, not another sermon about giving, or no, or not another capital campaign, or what the Bible doesn't really say that, all this angst that we feel about giving would probably go away. If we really believe that God rewarded it, it would be like, oh my gosh, here's another opportunity to give. Think about it. Now, here's why this private discipline of giving is such a faith thing. Because when you talk to a mature Christian, or any mature religious person, it doesn't matter what religion it is, pick one, Muslim or, 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 or Jewish, anybody, it doesn't ma matter. When you talk to some of these mature believers, we all have one thing in common. 
And that is that we all have perfect faith when it comes to trusting God with whatever happens after we take our last breath. We all trust God for eternity 100%, don't we? And it doesn't matter what we believe in after we die. It's, you know, you could call it heaven or, or, or in limbo or in purgatory or, or purgatory or paradise or, or the clouds or angels or bliss, the pearly gates. However you picture eternity, you are counting and trusting in God 100% for everything that happens from the moment that you take your last breath out. And the reason that we completely trust in God 100% for that is because we don't really have a choice, do we? So ask yourself, how much faith does that really take? Because here's what Jesus teaches all over the New Testament, that from your last breath back to now, and essentially your entire life, what we trust in the most is money. That what you're trusting in most is your ability to control your environment and your circumstances through wealth, pursuit of wealth, and that, folks, is what te Jesus teaches us in the New Testament. So if God, who controls eternity that you can't do anything about anyway, if that God is a personal God, which we believe that he is, right? In fact, Jesus invited us to call him Father in this very scriptures here, and he wants you to trust him now, then if that's the case, wouldn't it make sense that he would mess with the thing that you trust most now? in order to get you to trust him more? That's why Jesus says all over the New Testament, you know, that's why you can't serve both God and money because your wealth and your money and your pursuit of money and your worrying about money and your anxiety about money, it does more to compete with our devotion to God than anything else. Because we live as if money is life, as if money is the air that we breathe. And Jesus taught all of this, that we worry more about money than anything else and because it seems to be the foundation of what we put our confidence in. And you know what? I'm not even saying that's good or bad. That's just the reality of our human frailty. That's just human reality. So Jesus comes along and he says, you know, I know you're trusting God for your life to come, but I want you to trust me in this life. He says, I want you to trust me with the thing that you trust the most. And this is where kind of our minds kind of go up and it's like, but God, and we come up with all these buts, but, you know, this church, but, uh, you know, I was raised this way, but the, the, I don't really believe that, you know, the Bible really said, but, but. Yet Jesus would say, you know, it's not about the money. I'm not talking about meeting needs here. I'm talking about your heart. He says, I want you to trust me with the thing that you have your trust in now. And folks, if this is not money for you, there's something else that you're putting your trust in. So replace money for whatever that is. In essence, he's saying, I want to be in the driver's seat. And let's be honest, most of the time, money is in the driver's seat. That's why money is such a faith thing. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It's going to happen eventually. There's going to come a time where your faith is going to intersect with your finances. Eventually, God is going to come calling on your debit card, and it is because he wants you to trust him. And this is just one of those things that God uses to grow your faith. And folks, we have a choice in the matter here. And Jesus said it. 
You can read it for yourself. And, and I understand this can be emotional. I mean, this is a very emotional thing for me when people talk about it because money is emotional, which is, if you think about it, it it's kind of strange, right? That it's the, the one thing that should be least emotional. But you know why money is emotional? Because we put our trust in it. Because it represents security. I mean, why should we be so emotional about a piece of paper with dead presidents on it? Especially Benjamin Franklin. I mean, seriously, why are we so emotional about that? It's just paper because of what it represents. And folks, Jesus knows that. He knows us. He knows you. But here's why we should pay attention. Because there might be some little tension that, that we're feeling right now. And that's okay. That's, I, I wasn't meaning for this to be have tension, but I think in our hearts there might be some tension. And I think the tension that you feel is not a money thing. It's not a greed thing, or it's not all the buts that are rising up in your brain or your mind. It's an issue of faith. It's a faith issue. At its core, it's this. Will God, can God take care of you if you put him first in the areas of your finances? That's the issue. It is a faith issue. And even when you uncheerfully give, you begin to transfer your trust from your wealth to your heavenly father. And Jesus says, you know what? Your heavenly father sees that and he's going to reward you. And then he moves on to the second illustration. Aren't you guys glad about that? We're done with money. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> second illustration, starting in verse 5. When you pray, and when you pray, he says, and now he's going to talk about time and specifically prayer time. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And I tell you the truth, again, they have received the reward in full. So now Jesus is connecting praying with rewards from your heavenly father. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who sees what is done in secret, and there's that word again, he will reward you. Jesus is not talking about all these prayers that we just throw up while we're driving and, oh, Lord, help so-and-so, and, oh, Lord, heal so-and-so, and, oh, my kids are going to school, so, Lord, please have them come back. He's not talking about all these on-the-go prayers. Those are fine, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about taking a piece of your time, which, by the way, is your most valuable asset. It's not money. We live as if we're going to run out of money before time, but that's just not the case. We're going to run out of time before we run out of money. And he's saying, listen, I want you to take your most valuable asset and I want you to devote some of that time to just you and me. I want you to go into your room and I want you to close the door and I want you to pray. And here's where I say, but Lord, don't you know how busy I am? And God is saying, no, I had no idea. Think about this. When you go into your room and pray, Jesus said this. And, and again, I don't know how this works, but Jesus is using this very intimate term here to describe his heavenly father, his Abba father. He sees you pray. 
And then I think, well, does that mean he doesn't see us pray any other time that we're praying? No, no, no. He's not saying that. He is saying that in some special mystical way when you, when you, you know, are devoting a chunk of your time to just me and the Father, he says he sees what is done in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And again, you're saying, well, I'm not doing this for reward. Well, good, but he's going to reward you anyway. You know, there is something honoring to God when you take a slot out of your busy day because he does know how busy you are and you still choose to spend time devoted to him. And if you were to talk to people who have been a Christian a long time and ask them, you know, what is the reward for spending time with God alone behind closed doors? And I think, that, I think this is what they would all have in common and I think this is what they would tell you. It's not that I went behind closed doors and all of a sudden I felt God was taking me seriously, so anytime I prayed for that new car, I got it. It's not about the answer to the prayers. I think they would say that the reward is that they leave their time alone with God, with their heavenly Father, with this uncanny assurance that God is with them and God is for them that they leave this room with this assurance that as they face the uncertainty of the day, that God is with them and that God is for them. And, and I don't know if that's the reward that Jesus is talking about, but I think that's what most people would say. And folks, what I would say, because I want to tell you what God has done for me to testify of how wonderful he is, when, when I'm faithful to do that, I have a list of things that he does for me. And some of them are awesome, some of them are Oh, man, I have to, you know, I just have to add to my to-do list. He's convicted me about things that I've said to people when I do my, my alone time. He says, Carlos, you know, you came, a lot, you came across a little short when you were in a hurry to that person. Call him back and apologize. I'm like, I don't even like that person. No, I never say that. <laughs> He's done that. I have my list of people that I pray for. He's added people to my list. He's, uh, um, I don't pretend to have perfected this, but he, he gives me discernment to go throughout the day and try to discern situations. Wisdom that I don't think I really have, and yet I pray for that, and he gives them to me in certain situations. But one of the most beautiful ones that he does for me, talking about this uncanny assurance that God is with you and for you, there's a scripture that James talks about, and he says, but through prayer and petition, bring your request to God. And then he says, but the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. That's what I love. I walk out of that time, and no matter what happens on at home, because it always starts at home, and on through the day, I have this peace that I can't explain, that I want for you. That if you do this consistently, privately, and faithfully, there's so many promises. I'm not even giving you a portion. I mean, this is just a portion of the list. The other one is, is the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit that is able to convict you, and I, I leave that place with the uncanny assurance that the Holy Spirit, because the Bible tells me this, is going to intercede. You know, intercede is when somebody puts themselves in their place. Jesus interceded for us. Where is the cross? Not here. Jesus interceded for us in the cross. So the Bible is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to intercede on your behalf even for things that you're not aware of, even when we don't know what to pray for, he says, the Holy Spirit, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will do it for you. But you have to be in tune with it. I love that. I love being able to walk out of the house knowing that, you know, I might mess up, but man, the Holy Spirit's got my back. 
So here's where I want to land today. That this is an area where you can proactively engage with your Heavenly Father in action. It is a private discipline that is going to build your faith. And here's the action. That you would use these private disciplines as an expression of your trust and your faith in God. That you would say, you know, I trust you with my time. I trust you with my wealth. And oh, and oh by the way, you control my time and my wealth anyway. How silly of me to think that I do. But I want you to know, God, that I trust you with my time and that I trust you with my wealth. So here's my challenge to you as we close. It's a double dare. That for 30 days or two weeks, or you know what, 10 days, you pick the time frame. But I recommend 30 days that I want to challenge you that if you don't already do this, give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars. Your first few minutes may, may look something like this. It may be Monday through Friday. If you don't want to take the weekends off, that's okay. But get up a little earlier. Go into a closet or, or, or a bedroom where no one's there, where it's quiet. Close the door and get on your knees. Well, do you have to get on your knees? Well, you know, getting on our knees is a sign of humility. It's a sign of being humble before God. And, you know, you might say, I'm going to get tired. It's okay. When you get tired, go and sit down on the sofa. It doesn't matter. But get on your knees. Just do it anyway. Nobody's looking but God. Get on your knees and say, God, I don't know how to do this, but here I am. And just have a conversation with God. With God, just how you would have it with a spouse, significant other, or a best friend. Just have a conversation about God, and the Holy Spirit will direct you. Open up your Bible, and hey, I don't have a Bible. Great news for you today. I have Bibles on the round table as gifts. If you don't have a Bible, just pick one up as you walk out these doors. The second challenge is that you give God your first few dollars. That means that you give God a percentage faithfully. And if you don't want to pick 10%, pick 5%. You don't want to pick 5 pick 3%. Pick a percentage. And listen, here's something that's really important. Because I am telling you, this is not about money. This is about faith. So if you don't want to give it here at Canyon Hills... That is perfectly fine, especially if you don't trust us. But that doesn't take away the challenge to give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars. And here's what's going to happen. At these personal, spiritual, private disciplines, you're going to find that they're going to become a joy and that they're going to become a habit. That they're going to become what it's become for me in the giving part that I can't imagine life without it. I'll be honest, I'll tell you, I'm even afraid not to give. And Jesus says this, and this is absolutely amazing because your heavenly father who sees what is done in private will reward you. And again, he's not saying exactly what the reward is, but we know the benefits. And the benefit is this confidence in God that is going to grow and deepen your relationship and the sense of intimacy that you have in your relationship with God is going to grow and eventually it's going to edge out all of those things that are taking priority in your life. And as he begins to conquer those things that compete most with your devotion to him, you're going to find that you're just going to trust him for everything else. If you give him your first few minutes and your first few dollars, God will use it to grow your faith. Will you pray with me?
Father, we're grateful for your word. Father, I'm grateful that it doesn't matter what I say, but what matters is what your word says. So we hold true to that because your word will never fail us. It will never leave us. It will never forsake us. Lord, that your word will penetrate the deepest part of our being. Lord, that it would be planted in our hearts in such a way that it will make a difference as we walk out of these doors. Father, I pray that everyone here would take that step closer to you by deciding to spend their first few minutes and their first few dollars with you. And as they do that, Father, show them how faithful you are, Lord. Show them what your word says and that it's true, Lord, that if they test you in the giving part, that you're going to open up the floodgates of heaven and just rain down blessing upon them. Lord, that if they spend that devotion time with you, Father, that they're going to have that peace that surpasses all understanding that, Lord, I know some people haven't felt before in this room. Lord, that's my desire that they would feel it, that feeling of that peace that is so addicting that some of us don't want to live without. Lord, I pray that as they do this, that their confidence and their faith in you would continue to grow. But ultimately, Lord, so that it would be part of our testimony so that we would be able to tell others and others would get to know you and see this happening firsthand in their life. For this morning is all about you. We just want to be pleasing in your sight, so help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.